Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. If the we're still dealing with the police demic. We're still dealing with the pistol demic. All of this gun violence out here. And a Republican Party that has not the will at all to help people save people's lives. To give relief in any of these areas, whether it's COVID, whether it's the police, whether it's gun violence, it's nonstop. And let's just say again, African-Americans have been disproportionately affected by all of these things, not the least of which is COVID. The progressive National Baptist Convention asked me to moderate a panel discussion during one of their gatherings called the Progressive Hour on to moderate a discussion on medical apartheid, the COVID-19 vaccine and its implications for the survival of the African-American community. And included in this and, and you know, the black church is important to this in terms of informing the community. Um, the successor to Dr. Gardner, C. Taylor, Concord Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn, the leading pastor, Reverend Dr. Gary V. Simpson, Dr. Chuchu Onwachi Saunders, a pediatrician and medical epidemiologist, the Reverend Ovita Fuller, MD, associate professor of microbiology and immunology, at the University of Michigan Medical School and the president of Meharry, no stranger, James E.K. Hildreth, Dr. Hildreth. And we talk about these vaccines. Dr. Hildreth and Dr. Fuller were actually, are actually part of the FDA team that reviews some of these vaccines. So there's still a lot of questions and concerns about these vaccines. We'll talk about that today. 
And of course, stay tuned because we're going to be talking more about this gun violence and what has happened most recently and how a judge struck down ordinances to prevent weapons. And then this person in Boulder buys his weapons five days later. At some point, we have to ask ourselves, is there is there one political party that expects us all to die? In any event, enjoy the panel today. Medical apartheid, the COVID-19 vaccine and its implications for the survival of the African-American community. We will begin with you, please, Dr. Hildreth. First of all, describe for our audience the role you play um, with the FDA in approving the vaccines. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Reverend Thompson, and thanks to the organization for putting this very important conversation together. Actually, my colleague and I both, Dr. Fuller and I both served on the Vaccines Related Biological Products Committee of the FDA. And what we do is we take the data from the vaccine trial, we review it, uh, and make decisions about whether or not the benefits outweigh the risk, considering all the data they provided to us. The immunological response to the vaccine, the reactions to the vaccine, the level of antibodies generated, the level of immune responses that are made. So this group of about 20 experts, we get together, we review their data, we make recommendations to, uh, to the FDA. You, you, there was no hesitancy on your part in terms of the vaccines as they were presented to you for approval. I wish that the number of African-Americans that were that participated was a bit higher. 10% of the participants were, were African-American. I wish the number had been higher than that. But the thing that I got some comfort from is that the number of people with underlying conditions, heart disease, hypertension, obesity, asthma, there were substantial numbers of persons with those conditions in the trials. And as you know, African-Americans suffer from those things disproportionately from others. So we wanted to make sure that the vaccine worked in those individuals and the data were strong in people with underlying conditions. So I was very, uh, very pleased to see that. Dr. Fuller, you were a part of the approval process too. Uh, what was your take? Were you, were you comfortable with the process and equally uh, comfortable with approving these vaccines? Well, thank you for the question and to the sponsors of this important event. Um, so yes, I was on the FDA advisory committee. Um, that was my first meeting with them. I think Dr. Hildreth had been there before. And I'll say I had a little bit uh, less enthusiasm about these vaccines, and I'll tell you why. I do believe they're a major tool in our toolkit against COVID-19, and I think they're necessary, just as I believe prevention, such as masking and distancing and staying home are necessary. But I am one where if you tell me what to expect or tell me what I, I even what I don't want to hear, but let me know that, then I can make up my mind and act from a place of being informed. So whereas they told us what, what was known, there are questions that I still, that I had at the review and that I still have. And some of them we may not know until we know because 
the timing is such that we won't know the long-term effects until we've used these for a long time. But I wanted to know, and now we're, we're, this is coming out transparently, do the vaccines besides the 95% effectiveness at blocking disease, which is a huge big deal, let's not run by that. That is a major, major plus and a reason to get these vaccines if there's not some underlying condition that would prohibit it. But do they block infection? Do they block the ability of the virus to be transmitted from one person to another? Because where's the, when they block disease, that's going to help us uh, stay alive, which is key. Don't, don't let me run past that. But it's not going to be the magic vaccines that we've seen with measles and mumps and rubella or, or with polio or smallpox that got us out of those pandemics. So we're still going to have to use our masks. We're still going to have to use our public health preventions. And I, I wanted to know, do the vaccines block infection? We don't know, but that data is coming, hopefully. Um, what are the short-term effects in a wide variety of people? We've had them in, let's say, at the most uh, 60,000 people, which is a lot if you take both of the vaccines. But now we're going into millions of people with many other genetic underlying conditions. So what do we know about that? And so a lot of the questions I had, we cannot have answers to at this moment. And so what I've done um, in my own estimation is that what's the risk, as, as uh, was said earlier, what's the risk of the disease and the outcome and what's the risk of the vaccines? And so for my vote, the risk of the disease are much, much greater than the known risk of the vaccines. We're in an experiment either way you look at it. And for me, I think the, the greater harm can come from having COVID run rampant as it already is versus um, the vaccines which are 95% effective and safe over the short term where we've looked at. So for me, I wanted to know more, but they can't tell me more than is known. And so we go with some risk, but uh, the lesser risk is the vaccine. Dr. Choo Choo, I'm sorry, Dr. Hildred, do you want to respond to that? Please. I, yes, I want to make one comment about the expected long-term risk. Uh, one thing that people should know is that this platform of messenger RNA has some very appealing properties for me. Messenger RNA are the templates in our cells that allow our cells to make proteins. They're very transient. They don't last more than a few minutes or a few hours normally. These two mRNA vaccines are in our cells no longer than 24 hours, they're gone. The protein only lasts for 24 hours and it's 72 hours and it's gone. So the prospect that there could be long-term damage from these vaccines is as low as we could possibly make it. The reason I can say that is messenger RNAs do not affect our genes. They have no ability to affect our genes. There is no chance that these vaccines will modify our DNA because there are certain certain sequences you'd have to have on, on RNA or in order for that to be converted to DNA. That cannot happen with these two vaccines. They're very transient. They're only gonna last for 24 hours in our cells, they're gone. The protein is there for three days and it's gone. So the prospects for long-term harm are as low as they could possibly be. And that is one of the reasons I felt very comfortable uh, with this. The other thing is many people have said, this is a new technology, so I should not trust it. Messenger RNAs were discovered in 1961. The first human study was done in 2003. This is not a new technology. 
is new to vaccines, but is not new to medicine. Those are some points I think that are very important for people to know. Reverend Thompson, I know you want to get to other people, but let me just say, I totally agree with him. We are in the same place. My, my concern is not so much that this vaccine technology isn't understood. It's really COVID is not understood. It's the disease that I'm concerned about. It's not the technology. So what, whatever vaccine we put in ourselves, we're boosting the immunity to a virus that is currently circulating. And I just don't know what a boosted immunity with the currently circulating virus is going to do. And we can't know. So that's not a reason to take it. It's just that it's something I want to know that I don't know that I have to take in consideration. So I'm going to stop now so you can talk to somebody else. But just to be we're clear, in you, agreement. <laughs> just to be clear on what you're saying, Dr. Fuller, that's not a reason not to take it, you mean? Absolutely. Other, the yeah, messenger RNA uh, technology is actually a good reason to take it. It's a nice clean vaccine and as what uh, my colleague has said, the reagents don't stay around very long. So of all the vaccine possibilities, this is a very good platform. It does not modify your genetic material as he said. So it's a nice clean vaccine. That's not the issue. It's the issue for COVID-19. There's so much we don't know about COVID that concerns me. And the vaccine is, a, is, is now trying to modify a disease that we don't even understand. That's my concern. And we can't know. We can't know. So we just have to step out in faith and say, let's do what we need to do to stop this pandemic. Right. Uh, Dr. Choo Choo, um, what are your thoughts about the, the process as uh, Dr. Hildreth and Dr. Fuller have explained it? And, and what are your thoughts about the vaccines themselves? I, too, would like to thank the sponsors uh, and you, Dr. Thompson, for having us here. I also would like to send out um, uh, sympathy and condolences to the millions, uh, well, actually I should say thousands and also the millions of people that have been uh, adversely impacted by this disease and have possibly lost the loved one. Um, I think every time we speak about this, we need to acknowledge them because so many people are going through so much and they just can't see the light at the end of this tunnel. Um, Thus far, I agree with both of uh, Dr. Hildreth and Dr. Fuller's uh, comments about the vaccine. Um, I think um, what you really want to get at is the issue why so many of us are afraid of it or are not taking it or refuse to take it. Uh, I just read a, an article yesterday in the Washington Post about how many um, um, workers, our essential workers in nursing homes are still refusing to take this vaccine. And I think the issue is one of disinformation and misinformation that has happened because we are such a public information uh, system uh, uh, society. Everything is on the internet <laughs> and people can't make a difference of what's real and what's not. And also we just don't have enough trustworthy organizations speaking that people can go to and know this is where I need to go to make uh, to understand what it is I think I'm reading and I think I have an understanding around. Clarity is the issue here. Our people just don't have clarity. And so I think some of the statements that I've heard uh, Dr. Hildreth and Dr. Fuller say, I don't think people have heard that. And they need to hear that. They need to understand simplistically what this vaccine does. Because remember, even though we have this distrust in our communities about vaccines, 
many of us have taken those many vaccines. I'm also a pediatrician and you couldn't go to school if you didn't take your vaccine. So your parents made you take them and we all took them and we're all here and we're still alive. So I think that the misinformation and the disinformation is the problem. And I think the clearer we get from our experts, people that our people can trust, I think people will begin to take what is necessary for them to take to beat this disease. But I also would like to caution that this is a disease or a virus that is really throwing us for a loop. Many, many times, many people speak with authority and they shouldn't be speaking with authority because we still don't know a lot. Here we have today different variants of it. And you know, and here the vaccine companies are scrambling to say, oh, our vaccine covers those variants, right? But we're not hearing definite information. So that again adds to it. So I think taking a posture of we don't know, which I appreciate what Dr. Fuller was speaking about. She said, I don't know. That's, you don't hear too many professionals saying. You just don't hear it. They wanna give the, the answers. And in many instances, there are no answers. There are none. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a process. We've heard from the medical experts. I want to turn to the Reverend Dr. Gary, the Simpson, Dr. Simpson. Um, your job is to inform and educate and mobilize the entire black church community, you by yourself, uh, to feel comfortable uh, with this. And, you know, with everything that's been discussed, we know that's not easy. People do have questions. I think Dr. Chuchu put it well, when people have access to so many different things on the internet, um, you know, it can, it can be very confusing, Ms. Lee, and we are in a greater era of disinformation than we've ever been in. Uh, that means everyone, not just black folk. I hear from white folk. I don't know if I want to take the vaccine. So what, what, first of all, give us an assessment, if you would, um, be it from your church or um, uh, anecdotal, uh, um, evidence or information from the PNBC as a whole, what kind of, of feedback are you getting from parishioners as to their comfort level with the vaccine? Let's start there. Well, I am indeed happy first to be in the presence of experts who actually have uh, the answers, the experience, and have put time in on this. So let me thank uh, the, the panelists here for their presence here. This goes a long way as a pastor, to be honest with you, because we, we see experts who would resonate with our experience, who would know um, our history, who would know a heap. I keep hearing people talk about the Tuskegee uh, experiments, but even before that, the first quote unquote gynecological doctor started uh, in doing experiments with black women, thinking that because they were animals that they could in, that they could endure pain better than white women could. So there's a whole history of distrust in the medical profession. It is it is. Uh, remedied and countered by seeing black scientists and physicians who are working on these things. So as a pastor, I am grateful. I am also grateful for the opportunity to 
to have things explained simplistically uh, so that we understand uh, the kinds of information that we need to know, uh, given what Dr. Saunders has said about the misinformation and the intentional disinformation that happens in communities. What I can tell you is that when COVID-19 uh, first struck in this country, it struck in New York, I pastor in Brooklyn. Uh, I watched the disproportionate. I didn't. I didn't need anybody to tell me, you know, what the statistics were. I watched the the uh, disproportionate effect on Black and Brown people. Uh, we have had since the COVID began in our church forty deaths in the people in our congregation, um, and I have been in that space with people at a time at which, uh, and I again agree with the panelists. This is such an unknown. Um, the virus itself that it changes uh, and our understanding of what is happening uh, changes over time. I can say that um, my participation in this panel is also to say uh, that, that the vaccination itself is but one part of the large conversation, uh, not just about uh, COVID uh, as it continues to create variant strains, but also the long-term effects of the, of the, uh, the illness itself uh, and how it is not just physical. Uh, we have to also talk about trauma. We have to talk about the trauma that people have been in um, and the long-term effects after we have the vaccinations and after we do at some point get to a a herd immunity. After we do that, people are still going to have long-term effects, both physically, perhaps, and certainly mentally and socially. And and the need to talk about mental health as a part of our response to COVID nineteen is also very important. And that would be helpful to to pastors and and church communities. But in 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 terms of your congregants, are are people hesitant still or are people open to taking the vaccine i think you have you have the spectrum as you do in in all black communities and i think in conversation sometimes we believe there's a monolithic um approach by black people that we are also a very diverse co community too in my own church there are people who have had the vaccination um already who have qualified we also uh, sponsor a nursing home uh, which is adjacent to the church. And we are seeing some of the challenges as was already mentioned that some of the, some of the workers in the first round of the vaccination were hesitant to get uh, the vaccination themselves as, as well as the residents. I, I think that uh, again, the important thing is to create the space so people can get the information um, at a level in which they can receive it and for them to make the best informed decision, as Dr. Fuller has said, the best informed decision based on the information that they have. And that's what we're trying to do in churches at this point. Dr. Hildreth, um, if I understood you correctly, one of your concerns um, when you were speaking earlier is the um, uh, the small number or or lack of African American representation in in the trial and development, correct? Um, why was that the case? Was it because African Americans, uh, because of our history, we weren't willing to participate in these trials, 
or were there other reasons? Were the the vaccine developers themselves not um, as effective with outreach to African Americans? Reverend Thompson, I think it's a combination of all those things, the hesitancy on the part of African Americans. But one thing the drug companies did not do is they did not elicit trusted organizations to enroll people in the trials. I've been saying this to anyone who will listen, without trusted messengers, all the things that we're trying to do are gonna be much more challenging. My, my re research career has been in HIV and part of my work was to find ways to get prevention messages that people could understand and accept. And one of the things I did here at Meharry my first time around was to start an organization called the Spread the Word Coalition. So physicians, researchers, and pastors of black churches, we got together to come up with ways to inform the community about how to protect themselves against HIV. And as a matter of fact, Reverend Dr. Fuller was one of the people we engaged in in that work. Uh, so I'm a strong believer that, and as the pastor has said, uh, Dr. Simpton has said, we got to have people who are trusted, trusted messengers, trusted organizations. And I think the drug companies have finally learned that without that, they're not going to be very successful in enrolling people in their studies. And so I think that's a very important concept that we cannot lose sight of. And I think uh, Dr. Saunders has mentioned that as well. Indeed. Well, I, I mean, I think that those of you gathered are definitely um, trusted messengers um, and we need to hear more from you. Would you would you not agree, Dr. Fuller? And, and is it worthwhile um, organizing um, people in both the medical field and in the uh, community leadership and pastoral fields to answer questions, to first of all, be empowered with information to answer some of the questions that our people have? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, you're talking to one who, uh, as uh, was mentioned, I am also a former pastor and, and um, uh, a microbiologist. Um, and one of the things we do now for our research is called a trusted messenger intervention, trusted messenger approach, where the idea is to move science and medical developments into community through the powerful networks in the community one being religious leaders. Um, and so that's, that's as, as has been mentioned, that's a very powerful way of getting our people to understand and to see people they trust communicating to them things they need to know. And I just wanted to follow up on your question earlier in the work that we're doing now with um, talking about COVID and the COVID vaccines to, um, in, under various invitations to church leaders, um, uh, community leaders, uh, even some universities. So I, I did something recently with a major university in Michigan for their uh, College of Veterinary Medicine. And we do these polls before that ask, would you take the vaccine? Yes, no, or not sure. Well, in the African-American community, when we ask that question, we get about 40, on average, about 50% of the people say yes, um, maybe a little less sometimes, uh, but, uh, at least 50% saying not sure or no. When we did this with this uh, uh, university group, uh, which was predominantly not African-American or not people of color, immediately the answer yes was 83%. 
And so what I'm concerned about is even with the unknowns of coronavirus, COVID disease, and the vaccines, that the train has left the station. These vaccines are available. They are highly effective at blocking disease, which as we've said is a huge piece. So I don't want to look up six months or eight months or 10 months from now and find that the people who didn't get the vaccine and who are having now the most COVID cases, the most deaths, the most circulating virus in our uh, families and communities are people of color because for whatever reasons, either those of us who are trusted didn't get the message out or people didn't believe us or for whatever reasons, we don't want that to happen. We have so much disproportionate illness in our communities that it's time to change that. And so we need to use every tool we have, including these vaccines, including the preventions that we've already known about that overall as the population in the USA, we have not done a very good job at. We need to do everything we can to stop this particular pandemic. And so, yes, we need to use our religious leaders, our uh, divine nines, our, our uh, whatever we can use to get the message out of how to stop this virus and many other illnesses. You said something earlier, Dr. Fuller, about risk and the risk being greater not taking the vaccine because we know what COVID has been doing. Dr. Chuchu, you, t- you talked about the disinformation. Something has to be wrong if, because I did that a calculation in my own mind. This is a fact. We are disproportionately dying from COVID. We are not, this is a fact, disproportionately dying from the vaccine. Okay, so so to me, that's just a pretty simple process of elimination. Something must be missing because I know that we're disproportionately dying from COVID uh, as African-Americans, Dr. Choo Choo. I assume, would assume that most of our sisters and brothers in the African-American community, many of our church going members must know that, Dr. Simpson, or am I wrong? Because if we knew that, if we really understood that, I'm not quite sure in spite of, and, and, and it's valid, the Tuskegee concerns, the medical apartheid concerns are real. But in terms of risk, and then we have African-American um, messengers right here. They need to be seen more on some of these major media networks, by the way. I, I just want to say that. We need to see more of you all. But but um, it just seems to me that if if we had the full awareness of the disproportionality COVID is having on our people, we would not necessarily be so hesitant, Dr. Choo Choo, to take the vaccine, or am I being naive? I'm not gonna call it naivete, but I will say that that doesn't always hold true for us as a people. Because of the mistrust that we have, and because of the speed that it took them to develop this vaccine, because remember, there was a lot of controversy about it in the beginning and people were listening to that. Remember, they said we wouldn't have it in a year or that they thought 18 months, or if we do, it'll be rushed. And then everybody began to hear about emergency use authorization, which most people don't understand. It, 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 it generates a cloud of mistrust again, right? And that mistrust then is not backed again by, as we've just pointed out, by people of color who have the expertise to speak on that. We're not speaking enough, you're right. We're not on the airways. All the experts I've, I've heard from do not look like me. 
even though I've had the same experience as most of them have had. I've been, I'm a CDC trained medical epidemiologist that's worked as a public health professional my whole, my whole career. What, what don't I bring to the table? But we're not there. And one of the things, let me give you a really good example of this. Do you realize that if you take the vaccine, your behavior should not change? Before you took the vaccine, the preventive strategies we want you to, to put in place, after you take the vaccine, that's important. Our people don't know that. They're not hearing that. I think that's important to say. That's important to say. This is not a bulletproof vaccine. Yes, it might prevent you from getting, as Dr. Fuller has put out, the it ameliorates the disease process. It doesn't prevent you from getting it. You might still get COVID. You will still might get a COVID positive result. We don't know. These are the things I'm saying that we as professionals who know the ambiguity need to speak about. And when our people hear that, they become more comfortable. They become more comfortable. I've, like as Dr. Hilderson said, you know, I've been on this bandwagon with public health strategies. They take a while, but if you keep at it and you explain to people and you bring the clarity into, into foe, it'll work. And I don't think it's been done with this disease. And I'm not blaming anybody because I know it's been something that has hit us quickly. Many of us, a lot of people don't know what to do, but I'm just saying, we've got to stop a minute and pause. And that's what I tell all my friends who call me and ask me, should they take it? I say, pause, look at the research, definitely talk to your healthcare professional because you may not remember something that you're allergic to that they might remember. And remember that even if you do take this vaccine, your behavior cannot change. As a matter of fact, I would say intensify your behavior as it relates to preventing this process because people tend to let their guard down when they do get a vaccine. And that's not what we want. Not, yeah. it won't give us what we want. It will not give us what we're looking for. And that, I have not heard anybody say that. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Dr. Simpson, um, have you um, a, um, found a theological argument or moral argument to encourage um, your congregants and black pulpits and black churches in general uh, to encourage people to take the vaccine? I think we've heard one today. I don't know if we're gonna find a Bible verse for this, uh, but, but I do think that to, to trust what you have what you have heard from people who can articulate it. Part of this is just recognizing that the faith and theology is not so much about having the right answer. So many people approach their religion, look at the Bible for an answer. The Bible really is an opportunity to create the questions. And we have to frame our questions right. If we do anything to teach people things in this age of ambiguity as a pastor, I need to have people ask the right questions because so often we ask questions <laughs> that don't help us to get to good solutions. And so he, what what are my chances? And I, the, what are my chances I have to ask of, the, of taking the vaccination? I am going to take it when they finally get to me in the list of people. I am, I am going to take it. I am clear that I have a responsibility also, uh, if you ask for a theological reason, this, this, uh, 
virus has hit us at one of the, the most vulnerable places in American culture. And I'll talk about our, this country particularly. And that is underneath everything we do and say, we are very selfish people. And this virus has people fighting about what their rights and responsibilities are as opposed to the good of the community, as opposed to what should we should be doing to love our neighbor. There is, the, there is the passage. How do we love our neighbor as we love ourselves? And a part of that is being responsible. I don't want anybody bringing me something unbeknownst. And so one of the jobs I have is to model for the congregation. We have not been in our church since the 15th of March. We've been meeting just like this in Zoom because I am afraid that unbeknownst to us, we we may unintentionally infect somebody that we love and care about. I don't want that responsibility or that or that weight upon my shoulders. The best thing I can do to love my, my neighbor as myself is to stay at home, practice the things that have been spoken about today, and take make an informed decision that, yes, I am going to take the vaccination when it is available to me. Evan Thompson? Yes, please. I was coming to you next, Dr. Hilger, please. I wanted to follow up on a comment that Dr. Saunders made where uh, we're not to blame anyone for this. Well, I do blame someone for this. Uh, <laughs> we knew from the very beginning that this disease was gonna disproportionately impact people of color. We knew that by looking at the people in China. China is a very racially homogeneous nation, but if you were obese, smoke, had heart disease, hypertension, asthma, diabetes, you were gonna get more sick and die from this than others. Who in America has the disproportionate burden of those things? We do. We saw from the very beginning that this was gonna happen as soon as it was made public that older people, brown people and black people were disproportionately dying from this, guess what? it seems that the leadership of the nation turned its attention elsewhere. So yes, I'm blaming someone. I'm blaming them for sure. Because racism again, as it does throughout all of the fabric of America, raised his ugly head. So yes, I'm blaming some people. I apologize, but yes, there's blame to be assigned here. Yes, there is. None to apologize for, amen. Uh, I think we would all I, concur. I, I, There's nothing to apologize, and I don't want you to. Uh, I hope I'm not giving the impression that I don't believe that racism is okay. out in this at all. No, I wasn't. I was trying to say that. I just think that's something that needs to be said out loud because it's true. Yeah, we yeah. could have we could have done so much better, and lives could have been saved, and livelihoods. Yeah that have been lost and children who've lost their educational opportunity if there had been a national strategy from the beginning. But that's no. water under the bridge now. So no. we can go back and say that was the case, but here's what I want to look forward to. And that is that uh, you asked for a theological basis and you were given one. We need to do this for ourselves. But if, 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 if I, I said when the vaccine was available to me, that I might pass it by for two reasons. One, I want some more information about some things, but two, I am not at greatest risk. I'm here at my home. I teach from here. I, I don't have to go out unless I have to go out. But my mother, who's 96 years old in North Carolina, 
um, had is lives in her own home and and she has underlying conditions. And if her grandchildren or great grandchildren come to visit her or even her healthcare provider, bring the virus to her, she's at great risk. So I said, when the vaccine becomes available to my mother, I will take her immediately to get that vaccine because she needs that protection. And now I've actually already taken it because I realized one, the opportunity came around twice and I'm like, well, I better go ahead and do this. But the other piece is the responsibility that we have to protect our neighbor. Whatever I want to do, if I wanna take vitamins, if I wanna stay home, if I wanna do whatever I wanna do, that's up to me. But if now my taking it helps to protect everybody else to get to herd immunity, isn't that what we're supposed to do? And that's what I think we lost sight of in the USA. That's why our amounts of virus have been so high because of lack of leadership and because we are so individualistic that we want to do what's right, what I want to do. If I don't want to wear a mask, I won't wear one. That is so wrong. And so I agree with the panelists that we need to inform our people so they know all the tools available to them and can make informed decisions, even if their healthcare provider doesn't give them the advice that they need to get, let them have somewhere else to go. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Have you ever wondered whether the world's most successful people approach their days and their work differently to you? How do they get so much done? I'm Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organizational psychologist and the host of How I Work. On How I Work, I get inside the heads of people like Wharton professor and work-life host Adam Grant, musician Amanda Palmer, best-selling author Dan Pink, Broad City co-creator Abby Jacobson, Wired co-founder Kevin Kelly, and many others to uncover how they achieve so much more than the average person. If you love practical ways to improve the way you work, you'll love How I Work. Search for How I Work wherever you listen to your podcasts. ACAST recommends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.